this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And it is because of our Dig Me Out Union that we have this episode, which not only was a poll, it went to a second poll because there was a runoff. It was quite the exciting poll. It was. And even the runoff was close. Like, we could have had another tie, <laughs> at which point... This would have had to go to, to the, uh, uh, the Supreme Court. Well, it goes to a shootout first. <laughs> and then if, there's, if, there's a, if the shootout's a tie, um, <laughs> then, we go to the, then we go to the coin, fl- coin, tip, coin flip. Yeah, so... Let's go back to our, this is our September poll, eight choices. They're all delivered via our website, digmeoutpodcast.com. You go there to the suggest an album tab, fill in a, an album and an artist, tell us why you picked it, and we will include it in a poll. We've got, I think, over 100 in there. It's always growing, and it's always shrinking. It's It's both growing and shrinking at the same time. <laughs> I'm trying to include. I, I was doing eight for a while, and I've upped it to nine just to s- try, try to get, get through, through faster. More. But yeah, we've got uh, probably 120, I think, right now in the hopper. So, so we got 2021 is taken care of, is what we're saying. You have to do two a month. <laughs> yeah, we could, but uh, that would then we would be we'd be in trouble. We'd have to have every month. We'd have to have five weeks. So, what were our picks for September? Let's go through them. Gary Moran suggested Unwound's Fake Train. Richard Waterman suggested Red Cross's Show World. Darren Lehman, The Age of Electric, Make a Pest a Pet. A lot of discussion around that album. Uh, Ada Rivers suggested Emperor Tomato Ketchup by Stereolab. Bronson Elliott suggested Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge by Mudhoney. Roman, one name, like Beyonce or Madonna. Roman said Siesta by Peach. Jim Copany, friend of the show, suggested Corvette Summer by Dollface. Roy Nerland suggested Whiskey for the Holy Ghost by Mark Lanigan. And Whitney Beeler, Balt Amucho by Love Nut. Now, as you would expect, Jay, there was quite a disbursement of votes amongst the big names. The uh, Peach Siesta got no votes. Sorry. Dollface Corvette Summer got one vote. Love Nut Baltimucho got two votes. Unwound's Fake Train got four. And then you get into the heavy hitters. Red Cross and Age of Electric both tied with seven votes for second place. And then tied for first, Mud Honey and Mark Lanigan. A strong Seattle showing 
in first place. So that, of course, means runoff. The runoff, 55 to 45 in a back and forth battle. One for the ages on the frozen tundra. Of Patreon. Of Patreon. And pulling ahead, the winner, Mark Lanigan's Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. That was dramatic, Jay. I mean, I don't want to say Jordan-esque, but it was Jordan-esque. <laughs> it, was, it was Jordan over Elo. It was the, a fist pump in the air. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> That's not fun for me. Uh, but it was, I mean, this was literally, uh, you can see in the comments that this was going to be a close one because it was Mudhoney, Mudlanigan, Mudhoney, Lanigan. People, people were talking about it on Discord. We have our Discord channels. It was being talked about there. I think people were, people were talking about it at the water cooler. People were talking <laughs> about it, you know. People were talking about it at the gas station. They'd be pumping their gas. What's it going to be, Mud Honey or Lanigan? And uh, it it came out to Mark Lanigan. Um, I'm not familiar with the man's work. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to. Try. Of course, we know who Mark Lanigan is. Uh, now, Jay, I know you know the Screaming Tree stuff. Have you checked out his solo stuff? Uh, I think the more recent. Um, okay. And then the Gutter Twins. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I've checked out and obviously the, whatever he's done with, um, Queens, um, right. Stone Age. Um, but I don't know that I've listened to anything, uh, older in his catalog, uh, before, um, around the, I guess immediately after Screaming Trees. Sure. And we covered Screaming Trees many, many years ago. We did the Dust album and this is his second solo record. It was released in January of 1994. It was on Sub Pop. And what's interesting about this record is it took a number of years for him to record it because Screaming Trees were obviously an active band during this time. So he was able to record, write and record in his basically his time off uh, when he had time alone on the, you know, when they were on the road. And then when he got home, he's able to record. So this was recorded at four different recording studios um, while he had time to do it. And there are a lot of different musicians. So, for example, on drums, you have um, <laughs> you have a variety of people. You have Jay Massis playing drums on one of the songs. You have Dan Peters from Mudhoney playing drums on one of the songs. You have Tad Doyle from Tad playing drums on one of the songs. Uh, Mark Pickerel, who's a veteran drummer from that era, uh, playing drums. You've got... Um, who else is on Mike Johnson, who was in Dinosaur Jr. for a period of time. He, I believe, uh, plays, let's see, he played, he, he was a producer on the record along with Jack and Dino. Again, this was, you know, recorded in multiple studios. So there's a number of people producing based on what studio was in. Um, Mike Johnson plays guitars and organs. Um, and there are a number of backing vocalists who appear on the record. Sloan Johnson, um, Krisha Argurat. I, I probably just slaughtered that name. Um, and Sally Berry. And there are a number of different bass players on the record as well. Uh, Kurt 
Fedora from the band Gobblehoof, which I guess is a Seattle band, I'm guessing. Don't know. Not, not totally sure. Phil Sparks, who was a jazz bassist in Seattle, he plays on the record. And so a lot of different people playing, a lot of people involved in, in the making of this record. And um, as you mentioned, Jay, uh, Mark Lanigan is pretty much everywhere in terms of <laughs> contributions. He's recorded a number of albums with um, Isabel Campbell from Bell and Sebastian. And those are, are like duet albums that they've done together. Those came out in the 2000s. Um, he's done the Gutter Twin stuff. He's done stuff with Queens of the Stone Age. He's appeared on the, I think, on some of the, the Desert Sessions uh, recordings. He's appeared um, on like Uncle Records. And yeah, he's just a busy dude. He's got a lot of, a lot of stuff that he's involved with. Besides being a solo artist and putting out, you know, I think he's up to at least a dozen, maybe more records. He also released two books. Uh, one just came out this year, along with his new record, Straight Songs of Sorrow, that came out earlier this year. And um, so, yeah, busy dude. Lots of stuff going on. And the folks at Patreon, they had comments, Jay. About I you know there's a lot of comments. Um, I'm just gonna run through who who went with what. Uh, Johnny Hooper went with Mud Honey. Gary Moran said, "Well, I just said it was gonna be a photo finish." Um, Kyle Bittner voted for Lanigan. Aaron voted for Mark Lanigan. Eric Peterson voted for Lanigan. Of course, Eric Peterson went Lanigan because I think he was the one who suggested the Streaming Trees record years ago. So mm-hmm. that uh, that was. My guess. Uh, Richard Waterman, Lanigan, um, Scott Witt said there are better Mud Honey albums. There aren't better Lanigan albums. Interesting. Hmm. Mike Bond said had to go with Mud Honey. Mark Arm has one of the best sarcastic sneers in rock and roll. And then I can thank some people over on the uh, the original poll: David Gorgos, Darren Svedson. Willie Dillon, Frank Garcia Hell, uh, Whitney Beeler, Sean Brown, Darren Lehman. So many comments. We can't get through with them all this week. There's just so many. Dave O, Gavin, Scott Witt, Darren Leach, everybody. Thank you. Lots of comments. We should talk about the record, though. Uh, like I mentioned, it came out in. Um, well, 93, I'm sorry. Well, no, that's the promo. The promo came out in 93. So we'll, the actual record, when I was looking at Discogs in terms of re- release years, so promo copies went out in 93. Since this was a January release, uh, the actual album was released January 18th, 1994. So this is a 94 record. Well, I have, uh, interesting, Q-Buzz has it listed as Sub Pop on June 26th of 94. No. Interesting. Um, I don't know. Well, you know what? I don't know who to trust about anything anymore, to be honest. <laughs> I just, I don't know. They've I don't won. Know. They've won. 
and this has been reissued on vinyl. You can pick it up. Uh, um, Sub Pop did a reissue. It's actually a double album on reissue with the reissue. So it's you know 180 gram split between two records, three you know three songs of side or whatever. So it's a bit. Uh, I think the original pressing was just on a single disc, and this is over a 50 minute record. So that had to be pretty compressed to um, to get it on there, or they had to cut a song. So Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Whiskey for the Holy Ghost by Mark Lanigan. You get a lot of Mark Lanigan. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get a chance to hear, I think, his full vocal range and ability um, on this record. Um, you know, the River Rise, the first track starts with what is a little bit more of a an airy kind of vocal for him. Like he's not in that low register kind of baritone. He's more like pushing a lot more air and like atmospheric, which fits that song. then you get um you know everything from him you know doing a falsetto to you know the sort of more characteristic like low grovelly kind of um whiskey soaked kind of kind of vocals um on like uh judas touch is a good example of that it's to where it's almost spoken to him being like very melodic to him getting loud um, and singing on a higher register. So you get like the full spectrum of um, his vocal ability, which is really, you know, the primary reason why you would listen to a Mark Lanigan record um, Mm -hmm. and what he brought to so many of those projects that you listed. I mean, that's the reason why I think he was so sought after, sought after because he has such a distinctive um, voice that is capable of like, bringing almost a character to the music. Um, there is a, you know, a visual almost that you get when you hear him sing. Um, and, a, and, a, and it just automatically like feels like you're listening to a, a character in a movie or some kind of story. Um, right. Just, just with the tone of his voice, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. Um, so that, that is the, that is the heart of this record now around that is a mostly acoustic to me record. Um, I think is it Baracho? Yeah. The only dirty guitar. Um, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, there's a lot of clean guitar, like lead guitar and stuff, but that's really the only sound that has, um, you know, some, some fuzzy distorted chords. A lot of it is just really, more either the him in a like almost folky kind of 
bluesy space, you know, with minimal instruments. Um, and I think one of the things that works about that is they bring in like a violin or a saxophone or some kind of another voice um, to do harmonies. You know, the songs that work well, you get this like simple production, fairly simple songs, focus on his voice. And then they find another instrument or another voice to, to complement that and play off of it. Um, so to me that, that works really well. Um, it, in a lot of cases it helps kind of, um, continue to pull you through, uh, some of the songs that, you know, melodically they don't maybe go very far, like the theme you get in the first 30 seconds or so. And like, it's just like him and that vocal and that sort of melodic theme. And then what keeps it compelling for the, for the remaining three minutes or so is, um, the use of these other instruments, um, particularly the, the violin saxophone, um, a lead guitar part that's, you know, kind of interesting. Um, so would, then you have almost two characters, you know, you've got him and his vocal, and then you've got this other instrument that's kind of playing counter melodies and doing little flourishes and kind of pulling you through the rest of the, the song. Um, so that, that's the stuff that I like the most um, is when it's, really trying to stay focused on his voice and his, the character that he's bringing to the music. Um, and then finding the right accompaniment for that, that doesn't overshadow it or get in the way, but really just helps, um, I guess, elevate it. Here comes the devil Yeah, I think uh, the the one. I mean, obviously the the thing that is going to work or not work for you is Lanigan's voice. I mean, that's what dominates the record. I think thinking about this when it came out, and that and that Screaming Trees were an active, you know, band at this point, that it provides a nice counterpunch to that sound. You know, you mentioned Baracho about it having electric guitars. And, and being a, a, a loud song in in sort of the Screaming Trees mold, whereas the rest of the record is not. Um, I like that it's, you know, thinking back to that era, I think this is probably in the in the um, dust era or, or close to it, that you get this other side of Lanigan, that you get these... They sound like traditional songs in some in some sense, but they're not. You know, he would do that later on with his covers album, where he covered a lot, some traditional stuff and some and some lesser known folk and stuff. And actually, there was there was supposed to be, a, I guess, at one point, like a Lead Belly project, like him and Kurt Cobain and some other folks. You know, Kurt Cobain famously covered and Nirvana covered a Lead Belly song on their Unplugged album. And I, I guess for a while there was discussion about 
Lanigan and Cobain doing that together. They had worked together. Cobain sings back up on, on the first Mark Lanigan solo record. So it makes sense that these songs have this like slightly uh, traditional sound, even though they're originals, because you can tell he was versed in that and he was interested in, in those sounds and those structures and, you know, chord progressions and whatnot. So I think the thing that works best for me, aside from his voice, because his voice is great, is just how un, you know, grunge this sounds for 1994. Like this is clearly his other side from writing, you know, nearly lost you and, and those kinds of songs. This is him wanting to explore other things and, I mean, his voice carries it, so it's it works in that respect. You know, th- I don't know if you handed this material. You know, maybe Cornell would be the only one who could have pulled it off with his voice, but his voice is almost too perfect in a way. Yeah, like you you need the raggedness of Lanigan's voice, that whiskey soaked sound um, that is assumed t- to be his his sound. Um, but he's just, I, I don't know where his voice sits on the spectrum of, you know, tenor, alto, soprano, that kind of stuff. But wherever it is, the fact that he can get loud and he can and he can raise his voice and like he does in Baracho, but then also get into that gravel on the slower stuff. And um, I think, you know, in later years, I don't, I don't want to, you know have the man get angry at me, but it almost becomes parody. Like even on that gutters twins record, like there's some really strong stuff on there, but sometimes I feel like that voice gets used for its effect rather than the song being strong. Like they're there. Like his voice is so dark and mysterious that it kind of covers up the fact that maybe this isn't the best song. But he, but he makes it sound cool. Like I could think yeah. of some of the Gutter Twins material. It's like, eh, it's okay, but yeah. it's not the best stuff that he's written or that Dooley's written. But his vocal pulls it off, and yeah. So that that's what I think. What pulls this album through for me is that it's it's unexpected in terms of its material. And I think I do agree, though, that I th- I think that if this isn't the best, it's up there. I do like what he's done in later years with respect to a lot of the collaborations. But when he gets like real electronic on some of his records and it's just like, you know, built around a drum beat, I don't necessarily love that sound. Like I yeah. I like I don't think his voice works as well as it does with this sort of arrangements or these sort of arrangements. Yeah, I don't. I'm with you. I don't get that decision. Doesn't make sense for his voice. I mean, I I can understand it from the sense like, okay, I've made, you know, all of his records in the '90s are all in this vein in terms of you know organic instruments and and the singer songwriter approach that he has. So maybe okay, you know, like an album like Bubblegum, he wants to take it in a different direction for record, and that's fine, but. I felt like there were a lot of those records um, that 
happened in the 2000s. And I just, you would hear one and then you hear the next one. You go like, I don't know what the difference is between these records. Yeah. It just sounds a, a continuation rather than an, an evolution. Yep. Whereas this sounds, you know, even now this sounds... I know I listened to it in the past. I went through all of his records at one point that were 90s, the 90s albums that came out on Sub Pop. And then I think in the 2000s, he started with like Beggar's Banquet and started putting out on other labels. But um, it's this kind of stuff from Lanigan, knowing what he did with Screen Trees, you're like, uh, I wonder what Kurt Cobain would have done solo. <laughs> or, you know, we really haven't had a, uh, uh, you know, we never had an Elaine Staley solo record. Never had a, we've never really had like a true, I think Eddie Vedder's done some solo stuff, but it's been for like soundtracks or a ukulele. I don't really want a ukulele album from, from Eddie. <laughs> right. So, um, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? Yeah. I mean, uh, you touched on it. Um, I think some of the material, it was very average and you're it's being held up by his voice. Um, I also think some of the, it feels like a record where they laid down a bed of whatever chord changes and then layered on top of it. That's my sense is I, that I get when I listen to this and it becomes predictable in that format. Like there's some dynamics that happen that are nice in some of the songs where it like, I think it's Paracho. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where they like progressively increase the tempo, not just mm-hmm. the volume, but like you can hear them performing that and like the song getting faster as it goes. And that's a good example of like, okay, it warrants the five minutes and 40 seconds because of that dynamic. Yeah. There's some other tracks that are um, even in the three minute range where I'm like, they don't really warrant the three minutes. You know, they're probably two and a half minute ideas that I think are good and interesting, but they don't really go anywhere. Um, they just seem a little under to me, a little underdeveloped. Um, kind of like almost high quality demos that you know what I mean like they just put down the rhythm tracks he sang over top of them they brought some people in to perform additional parts and then called it a song um so I get that sense quite a bit on this record um and it really I find myself with a lot of the songs where it's like well this song sounds like this song but that song's actually a better version of that song like you know what I mean like yeah as I go through the record um, there's clusters of songs that are very similar um, in presentation and format. And then I find myself picking the one of the three that's actually good. Um, I guess the last thing is that some of the performance stuff does not support what he's doing vocally all the time. And I think if you're doing a Mark Lanigan record, and that's probably my biggest criticism of his records when I've listened in the past, it's just like, you know, his, his sense of melody can sometimes be um, subtle and it needs, to me, it needs some support from other instruments, maybe another singer, 
even just space for you to be able to grab on like, oh, okay, this is what the melody is. And like, okay, that's really cool. As things get in the way of that, it's very easy, at least to my ear, to lose track of him in that because he can be so low and the melody can be so subtle sometimes that if you've got two guitar parts or three guitar parts and like they're all doing something different and then he's singing and then you bring in a violin or some other organ or something and they're all doing different things um it becomes distracting from like i i want to hear everybody like focus on what mark is doing and like compliment that make that better um, and i feel mm-hmm. like there's sections of this record where there's just people playing and they're not listening to like, this is the song. Like this is the core of the song This is the part that is really worth, you know, focusing on what works about it. Like make that part better um, with what you're doing. Um, there is a really, I want to ask you about shooting gallery. Do you remember the, do you have any notes or remember the guitar solo in that song? Not specifically. Um, it's awful. <laughs> Very rarely do like do I find myself like usually guitar solos are like either amazing or they're just forgettable. Um, it just sounds really amateurish. Oh, um, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't that's know who's playing it? It's a Mike Johnson guitar solo. It's awful, and you're just like, yeah, it, it sounds like just somebody noodling on an acoustic. Yes. It sounds like somebody who kind of knows how to play guitar, but really doesn't know how to play a solo, trying to play a solo. And it just goes on and on for like a minute. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, just, just please. And we don't need to hear any of this. Just the song could have ended. And I probably Either end the song or the song. bring in something different. Like you already have an acoustic guitar. Yeah. So have an electric, you know, a, a really dirty electric that just maybe does a little even just feedback, just like a little feedback rising yeah. in and out. Or or a haunting organ sound, or yeah, that that just sounded like a dude was playing acoustic guitar and singing a song, and then another dude sat down and just started playing right. a terrible acoustic solo. Exactly, and you've been in those. We've all mm-hmm. been in those situations where you're like, you're, I mean, you're just farting around, whatever, right? right? And somebody just starts playing something, and you're like, it's fine, but you wouldn't put it on a tape and then re- release it on Sub Pop Records. Um, yeah. I, I agree with you that there's some meandering, you know, riding the nightingale is over six minutes and that could easily be yep. half the length. Like you said, Baracho earns its length. That yep. song does not. But I, I do think there are some times when he steps out of like what we'd expect from 1994 and what we'd expect from Lanigan. Like I like Sunrise, which has the it has a female oh, yeah. vocal. Yeah. And then it has a saxophone and it really yeah. is a, it's a really unique vibe to yeah. that song. I agree. And I wish there was more of, of that where there were less of him and an acoustic and maybe then there's like, uh, you know, some, some noodling bass. Sunrise. 
I, I think that this album suffers because you can hear it in the production that this was recorded at four different studios with multiple pr- producers. I know yeah. that Jack um, or John Agnello mixed it all, who's you know a, a legendary guy. He's got tons of stuff, but this was recorded by Jack and Dino. Terry Date recorded three of the songs. Who's a mm-hmm. you know another well-known producer who's worked with a lot of big bands. Um, Ed Brooks recorded some of the songs who, um, has worked with a lot of people and like the, the production on El Sol, for example, mm-hmm. is a little bit different than the next song dead on you in terms of like the, 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 the vocal clarity is different. Yeah. Um, it's a little more present, whereas uh, dead on you has a little bit more, um, space in it and it just you can hear the production change from song to song just a tiny bit yep. um which is a little it's a little weird um but i'm i'm with you on sunrise i think that's like an example of maybe the best song or a better song on the record for the two reasons you mentioned in that yeah and it's under three minutes and they use that female harmony to clue you in early on like within the first what 15 30 seconds like oh this is the hook and you're like okay cool and then that saxophone actually helps it complements his vocal it's almost like another singer singing under the line against him and it it keeps changing throughout the song so it kind of like pulls you through the what can be kind of repetitive repetitive lines for him to you know three and a half minutes where you're like okay that was pretty cool and they do the same thing on um um carnival i think so or a house is a home house is a home which i guess and was carnival. A single. And, and carnival too like mm-hmm. they use the violin the same way they use the saxophone you know and 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 that's where i think it is a little bit different it's enough different and it's something that complements his voice and it has serves a purpose. Um, it's competently played. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there, there are definitely moments where, um, you know, you can see him pushing himself using a fairly traditional format, but like, you know, bringing in players or parts or putting things around him that, you know, contrast his voice a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like his vocal covers up a lot. Yeah. And you're so like tuned into his that when you if you do type uh, if you do tune into other things, sometimes it's really cool and sometimes it's uh, a bad acoustic guitar solo basically. <laughs> I mean, that's what it comes down to. Um, I'm glad you appreciate a bad guitar solo. Too. Oh, well, because I've, I've done them. <laughs> those, that's been me. Those those guitar solos uh, are, yeah. are, you know. I think whenever he's paired with a, with a backing vocalist, there's yeah. three different women that sing on the record. I think those always work well because his vocal is so low, usually mm-hmm. on those that it just adds a nice flavor. Um, and any, any time that they 
slightly adjust the format so that it's not just him and an acoustic guitar. Anytime they twist it and make it a little bit different, that's when it works for me. Uh, you mentioned writing the Nightingale. I don't like that song. I don't love that song either, but um, it did remind me of somebody. <laughs> Who did remind you? At, uh, especially at about two minutes into it, it triggered. It sounded like a Lindsey Buckingham Fleetwood Mac song or a Lindsey Buckingham like solo song. Kind of has that like floating, like dreamy dreamy kind of constant build thing going on um but i don't know that i want to hear mark lanigan sing no that that could have ended like <laughs> a full three minutes before it ended yeah because then it's just vocal gymnastics after that Yeah, that was another thing. Uh, I noticed that that's the first time I've noticed him doing that, and I'm sure he's done it before, but on this record, I noticed times where it was like, yeah, he was doing like filler stuff, which I don't remember him doing much, on, particularly on other people's records, um, probably because there was a part written and they just want him to sing it. Um, I wasn't sure how I felt about him doing that. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. the oohs and the ahs and the creating melodies out of nonsensical words and just doing like filler riffy kind of vocal things. Um, I don't know if I want to, I want to, I don't know if that fits him. What are your thoughts on that? Like I, I imagine him like more as like a Tom Waits, like just here are the words I'm going to say. I'm going to use my voice to say them. I think if you're going to do that, you get to do it like once on the record. You know what I mean? You get to do like, you do your 10 like tight, well orchestrated, arranged songs, and then you close with like a six minute like tear down the house vocal performance. Yeah. Like that's how I would have arranged uh, the record in terms of if you're going to do that, you know, make it your purple rain basically. And 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 show off, but yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't work for me with him on. It works when it's if it's tight, like if it's if it's a compact song, and he just like if it just happens like once for a brief moment. But Nightingale's you know way too long for that to go on and right in the middle of the record and it didn't that that song just either needed to be off the record or 
in a different format. Yeah. You could have split that. You could have made it part one and part two. <laughs> have it have it come back at the end as a reprise. Because uh, it was yeah. a lot. And I think, you know, a lot of this record is mood, too. I mean, other than uh, Baracho and... Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's a pretty mellow record, so it doesn't call for... It's it's not something you're gonna bust out all the time. Yep. So maybe it gets away with being a little. I don't know, uh, Lanigan heavy on the on the Lanaganisms. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um. I just want to hear, I want to hear him say words. You know what I mean? Like not extending long um, vowels and like making weird noises. And you don't want him to Mariah Carey the, the record. No, no. Like that's not the kind of singer I think of. Like he's got a great range, but he's not that mm-hmm. type of singer. It just doesn't fit his character or something. I don't know. And it just gets boring. You're just like, Oh, it's like moaning almost. Like, you know, his voice doing that, it sounds like Mm -hmm. groaning and moaning. Excuse me. Yeah, I I get what you're talking about in in terms of him. It becomes a a performance rather than a, a showcase rather than. Yep. What are these songs about? I want to hear him say swing pendulum, swing low. Songs about going to hell and <laughs> dark, mysterious things. Yes. Yeah, I get you. It's it's interesting because it sounds. I don't know. Did you feel like the production made it sound like any particular time period? Like there are there's a lot of openness and I don't know if it's reverb per se, but there's just a lot of airiness to it. Yeah. And a lot of the record that doesn't necessarily, you know, this could be, uh, I guess could, this could come out now. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I didn't uh, feel it was dated really at all. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit of reverb, re- reverb on it, um, but it sounds roomy. It doesn't sound like, an arena or anything crazy. Um, I'm with you that it's the mix, the mixing and the sequencing and just some of the song selection overall. And just the way that some of the songs are put together from a production standpoint is just inconsistent. Um, And it's not hard to believe this was recorded at different times at different places. You know that, Someone's going to get mad considering how much love there was. <laughs> I know. I feel bad. Uh, I, I don't know. I felt like um, I have the same reaction to this record that I've had to most of his records that I've listened to. Yeah. 
it's like there's parts and pieces i'm like oh that's so cool and like man his voice is so good and then there's just like long spans of being bored um and a lot of what i went through is like me dissecting like why am i bored by these sections or these things mm-hmm. um and, and i come back to the original things about what, what not what doesn't work and i can come back to like i think the, the material is just not great or it's underdeveloped um and I think when he comes in and sings on Queens of the Stone Age record, like that material is not underdeveloped, <laughs> you know, right. like those songs are crafted and they work the shit out of them and they got the part that they want him to sing. And uh, I think the same thing, probably with Screaming Trees um, as well. Like that stuff is well-crafted and put together, rehearsed, played, performed, fig- you know, they really hone it. Um, like a band would. And I think anytime you get into solo material like this, you have to have a lot of, I don't know, you have to just be uh, either just incredibly capable of like criticizing yourself or have some other a partner that can do that for you. And I think my my sense is that a lot of this record is symbolic of that. Like his solo stuff is, it tends to be undisciplined or, unfocused and needs some like sharpening and pushback and just um i think there's a lot of like really cool things on here and a lot of potential but i would love to hear like it really crafted and like bring players in to really understand what to do with it and like take the time to do it not just like get it recorded so this comes out in 94. There was a single. House of Home was, was released as a single. Or House of Home. But I, I don't... I can't imagine, you know, anything really on here surpassing what the trees were doing in terms of radio play. I mean, it's just not... It's just not possible. Yep. Um... So, here we go. Worthy album, better EP, or decent single? I think I've showed my hand here. I'm in a better EP. Um, I think I got Baracho, House of Home, Carnival, El Sol. Um... I like how the record ends. I like Sunrise, Pendulum, and Judas Touch. Um, I don't love Beggar's Blues. Um, So I got one, two, three, four, five. I got like seven songs. Um, I think we make a pretty pretty solid EP. And um, I think even of those seven, I, I still think there could be like just more refining of them, sharpening them, but um, I think it makes for a worthy EP as is. Yeah, I'd be at, um, let's see, River Rise, Baracho, Carnival, Sunrise, Pendulum, Beggar's Blues. So I guess that's six. I mean, and those are my six favorite songs. A lot of the other songs are fine, and if you yeah. like add two more, I could pick two more, but they're not like standout tracks for me. Like they're just 
they're not. They don't. They don't separate themselves out the way that those six songs do. Or they're very similar to one of the songs you picked, and you're like, "Well, I like the song yeah. I picked better." So why have two of the same thing and one's better than the other? Now I will say, like, when I was listening to this, I was enjoying it enough where I actually like marked it in my you know discogs to like buy the record at some point because I would like to own this on vinyl. It would be <laughs> I would like to throw this on and have a glass of whiskey and and uh, listen to uh, Mr. Lanigan. Uh, his his baritone or whatever it is <laughs> from my <laughs> record player, but um, I don't I definitely can't do that on Sunday morning. This would not be a Sunday morning, you know, sunshiny day kind of mm, album. You know, it's like two a.m. on a on a Friday. Maybe a Sunday night record. Oh, there you go, late Sunday night. So there you have it. A couple of EPs. I'm sure this will. D- you know, cause a, a little bit of a stir uh, for uh, Mark Lanigan's whiskey for the Holy Ghost. Direct your hate mail, of course, to hate mail at Dig Me Out <laughs> Podcast. All of it goes straight to Jay. Uh, if if you like what you heard and you're not mad at us, consider leaving us some positive feedback at Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can also go to digmeoutpodcast.com not only to suggest an album, not only uh, to check out all our, our episodes and, and join the union, but that's also where you can go to sign up for the box newsletter delivered to you every week with new reviews of albums and, and books and, and movies that have come out, mostly albums because books take a while to read. Um, and, of course, we have our calendar. It keeps track of everything that's coming out for the year, 80s and 90s related stuff that the podcast covers. Lots of uh, lots of things have come out this year. It just I, When I was looking at what I was going to do for October, I was like, oh, my gosh, i got so many records to pick from. Like, my whole month is set already, and it's not even the beginning of the month. There's so much stuff coming out. Yeah. So I was pretty, pretty happy with that because I think either August or September was slim. I was like, eh. I'm, I'm going to do like five EPs. <laughs> it's not, well, it's not were, a ton. And there was um, definitely a lot of delays when the lockdowns yes. first happened. There was a lot of records that were pushed from uh, yep. like the, the June, July timeframe. So. Yes, there was. I had to, I had to dip back into the February and March releases to uh, fill in that, but that's okay. Cause I got to check out some really interesting records and there's stuff, you know, we missed stuff. So things are making it into the calendar that came out months ago that we didn't even realize came out, whether it was an album or a single or an EP or a book or whatever. So we're always throwing things in that may have already passed their date. But it, when we have the uh, overall calendar to check out, you can, uh, you can go in and take a look. And uh, we discuss yeah, I- all that stuff at discord. Yeah, I try to post a link to the to the raw calendar too on the, all the Patreon posts if you want to go look at the full thing for that reason. Because <laughs> yeah, there's always something we miss. There's been some obvious ones that like I I think we have the do we have the Smashing Pumpkins in there? It was like yes, yes. It's almost was so so known that like, uh, but yeah, it's um, it's amazing how much stuff has come out. Everything from from home to ACDC this year. It's been a good year for guitar rock. And I just got, I just uh, saw that uh, John Davis announced that the Lisa Memory album will be shipping soon. So uh, if you, if you ordered that at Bandcamp, the, uh, the latest Lisa Memory album, Moonshot, which is really good, which we reviewed 
look in your your mailbox soon. Cool. They did the I don't know if you saw Jay, but they did the cassettes like the the I old did. school Columbia cassettes. Those are awesome. Yeah. Uh, when was, I saw that, that was just such a like that took me back. There was a discussion on Twitter actually about why they were formatted like that because it's such a very utilitarian sort of approach. And I guess the reason why was because because the record label was so big, they used multiple pressing plants. So in order for the artwork to get correct on the spine, they created a very simple, repetitive yeah. look that could be easily re- replicated at each printing plant. Yeah, they and cassettes weren't big enough at that at that time when they were doing that that they were going to create custom artwork for cassettes. So they were just taking the album artwork, which is square, and then they have to like instead of paying somebody to relay it out to fit a rectangle, mm-hmm. um, and do custom art for the cassette inlay. They just said, screw it. We're just going to put a square at the top, <laughs> put the band name in red across the middle and create a standard spine for everybody and not invest any money in this. Mm-hmm. And I think it wasn't until like probably the mid 80s when you started to notice more investment in like, okay, they're actually doing mid to late 80s when they started to do like actual custom layouts for the cassettes that were as good yep. as the, the vinyl. Yep. All right, but you would, you would get your cassette and you'd be like, I can't even tell what's on this album cover. It was like a, a postage stamp size. Yes. Thing yeah, on there. I like, have those, uh, like those early Van Halen is. ones. I remember that. For a warning, you're like, I don't even know what this is. This it's just like a blob. A, a bunch of blobby scribbles. Yep. Yep. All right, folks. Uh, that's it. Thanks for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Flames scare the light.